Chapter 9 of The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Cindy Windsor. The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 9 A Dispute. I am not a German spy, the young man announced, half resentfully and half in a tone of amusement, as he rose up from the ground and faced Nona Davis. Oh, yes, of course, you thought I was one for the moment. Everybody is obsessed with the same idea out here and are all on the lookout. But I happen to be an American newspaper writer. If you would like to see my credentials, I carry them about with me because I grant you my behavior may now and then appear suspicious. Rather to Nona's chagrin, her unknown companion was openly laughing over her confusion at his immediate interpretation of her first impression. He was a tall, slender fellow, not a bit good-looking, with a thin face, a large nose, and humorous eyes. Yet he had a fine mouth with strong white teeth, which Nona immediately noticed as he laughed at her. You see, I've been in Europe, in one country or another, almost ever since this war began, and I have seen a lot of this barbed wire work, so I was interested to find out how well our American boys were learning their business. They have done a good job. Oh, I beg your pardon, but do you think it particularly safe for you to be walking alone in this neighborhood at this hour? If you don't mind, I'll walk along back to the hospital with you. With apparent gravity, Nona stood listening to her latest acquaintance. Now that she saw him more distinctly, he was so absolutely of the type one would expect him to be that it was scarcely necessary that he should present his literary credentials. This is the second time in the last quarter of an hour that this same warning about walking alone has been given me. Nona answered, trying to appear demure, but in reality rather surprised at the unexpected feeling of friendliness which this brief conversation with an entire stranger had inspired in her. It is curious how frequently a man's profession affects his appearance. The young man before Nona had a slight stoop to his shoulders, or else it was only that his head was thrust the slightest bit forward, as though his ideas went always a little beyond the movement of his body. Then his eyes were keen as well as humorous, and his forehead broad and intellectual. You are very kind, Nona returned, but really I am not in the least nervous, and I... You don't know me, do you? And I may be more dangerous than anybody or anything you might meet along the way. Was that what you were about to say? I don't believe I had thought of that. Of course, I recognize you as one of the nurses at the American hospital, which Madame Castaigne has in charge. I know her, or at least I know her slightly. She is rather splendid, isn't she? As a matter of fact, the American newspaper correspondents have had a chateau turned over to their use not far from the American camp. Just at present I am sending a little story of our expeditionary force back to the papers each day. It is rather difficult writing, since we are not allowed to tell anything that is worth while. 
Nona was hardly aware that she and her companion had, by this time, turned and were walking along side by side in the direction from which she had just come. She had certainly never given her consent to being accompanied by him, although neither had she refused it. But she was entertained. It might be disloyalty, and one would never confess it aloud, but Nona was interested to talk occasionally to some man who was not a soldier. It was not that military men were not interesting, but merely that one enjoyed variety. She could scarcely imagine a shoulder with the unfortunate stoop this young man had, nor with his unconventional manner. Yet, almost instantly, Nona had felt that she liked him, although she did not ordinarily enjoy too great unconventionality. This was probably due to her southern rearing. However, she decided immediately that it would be of interest to hear a number of things her present companion must know. After having seen so many different phases of the war, if he were clever, he must give one a broader outlook on the entire subject. Then Nona suddenly remembered that before she began trying to acquire outside information, it might be just as well for her to find out her companion's name. Yet she did not like deliberately to ask him. I wonder if you would mind telling me your name, an agreeable masculine voice inquired at this instant. Even if I do know that you are one of the American Red Cross nurses, it is extremely important to me to hear which one. Nona flushed slightly, although biting her lips to hide a faint smile. But after all, it was agreeable to have all of one's thoughts anticipated before one was able to speak. However, Nona gave her name. There was really nothing else to do. But since her companion did not volunteer his in return, she had a little streak of obstinacy which made her determined not to inquire. He evidently intended that she also should show sufficient interest to ask. And why, after all, should she wish to know? Nevertheless, as they continued their walk, Nona began to be glad that Barbara had failed her. She was finding the afternoon more amusing than she had anticipated. It was an exquisite summer day, and the French landscape held a peculiar softness and beauty of form and color. Perhaps it is well for us to recall now and then that nature has gone on with her same unchanging seasons of spring, summer, fall, and winter for these past three years, when human nature has suffered such strange transformation. So Nona was glad to enjoy the landscape and her new acquaintance, and to forget everything else for a little while. She did not talk very much, just answered sympathetically but she realized she was smiling more often than usual. However, she did not observe that her companion kept his eyes upon her whenever it was possible without staring, and that he not only did not seem interested, he seemed hardly conscious of the charm of the French country. Nona had on the same white dress she had worn at Madame Bonnet's. When she was not at work, she did not often go out of the hospital in her nurse's uniform. This dress was cooler than most things she owned, and although perfectly simple, since Sonia had made it for her, it held the distinction which Sonia knew how to give to all clothes. Nona looked frail, and there was an added charm in her face. For the past three years, she had seen so much heroism and so much suffering. 
Since she was fine and sensitive, the impressions were deeply implanted within her heart and mind. Then, although she had never spoken of the subject often, her own experience in Italy and Eugenio Zoli's gallant death had also left their impression. Whether she had cared for Eugenio or not, at least Nona had determined that she would keep herself free from any such emotion again. Sonia would probably never marry, and they would have each other. Nona was listening and thinking at the same time, as only girls and women can do, when she and her companion came to an abrupt pause. It was not quite dusk, and one should have been able to distinguish faces. Yet the figure before them had cried, Halt! in a peremptory tone, and, at the same instant, Nona found herself gazing more closely into the mouth of a pistol than at any moment in her war-nursing adventures. She also heard the young man with her mutter something under his breath, which is not supposed to be polite, but which really equally expressed her own point of view at the moment. "'Who goes there?' a voice demanded with unnecessary sternness, for since she had been able to recognize Lieutenant Martin— there seemed no especial reason why he should not also recognize her. Miss Davis, one of the Red Cross nurses at the American Hospital, and Philip Dawson. I wonder if you recall me. Yes, I understand we should not be so near camp after dusk, but it is not yet dark, and I am seeing Miss Davis back to the hospital as quickly as we can manage. Nona felt annoyed. It seemed to her to be characteristic of Lieutenant Martin to try to make a display of his authority. She did not believe that she was breaking any of the rules of the encampment by merely walking on the outskirts of the village at this hour. He had a disagreeable reputation for unnecessary harshness among his own men, but there was no possible excuse for his making an exhibition of it before her. Nona wished she could think of something to say which might express her attitude. "'I beg your pardon, Miss Davis,' Lieutenant Martin volunteered before she could speak. "'I am afraid I did not look closely at either you or Dawson. I've been out searching for some of our men who have been giving trouble. One of them is still missing. Nevertheless, it is against orders to be in the neighborhood of camp after dark without a permit. I'll see you home.' Lieutenant Martin placed himself on Nona's right, as if he deliberately ignored the fact that she was not alone. Yet the road was narrow, and it was self-evident that there was someone on her left. Nona did not know just what to say or do, and then decided to allow the two men to meet the situation, as she was perfectly capable of returning home without the escort of either of them. But since they were both bent upon rescuing her from no possible danger, it was simpler not to dispute the question. Moreover, almost immediately after Lieutenant Martin's speech, she heard the other man laugh. <laughs> See here, Lieutenant Martin, I know I have to yield to you in military matters, and since I'm not a soldier, you probably do not think much of me. Nevertheless, you know, I believe I am capable of getting Miss Davis safely back home, even of defending her if anything should happen in this next half-mile. And, after all, I secured the privilege first. Lieutenant Martin did not laugh. If he had a sense of humor, it was not in evidence. Yet Nona was surprised by his offer to accompany her. 
She knew he disliked feminine society so intensely, and although he would have done his duty had he felt she required his escort, it was hardly necessary for him to volunteer under the present circumstances. You are not armed. I prefer to see Miss Davis back to the hospital. Then Nona walked on between the two men, not knowing whether to laugh or to be annoyed, and finding it difficult to make any kind of conversation which should include the three of them, since both men refused to speak again. Inside of the hospital, Lieutenant Martin said goodbye without ceremony and walked off toward camp. Nona could not help thinking that he was rather better looking than he was agreeable as she watched his fine upright figure and the splendid military carriage of his shoulders and head. She did try to thank him, but he seemed bored by her efforts. The next moment, she and her more recent acquaintance had reached the gate of the hospital. Above the gate hung the French and American flags, the one crossed over the other. As a matter of course, Philip Dawson lifted his hat. I would like to come to see you if I may, Miss Davis, and it is not an infringement of hospital rules, he asked straightforwardly. But if I cannot, and at any time or in any way I can be of service to you, you must give me the privilege. Strange things are taking place about us these days, and one never knows when something of an unexpected kind may develop. Nona shook hands, then rather idly watched the second of her companions walk away. The two men formed an amusing contrast. End of chapter 9 Read by Cindy Windsor